What's going on, guys? My name is David Gibbs. I am the host and founder of this podcast, SIDcast, a podcast resource dedicated to telling stories and sharing the experiences of the sports information and athletic communications profession. Before we get any further into today's episode, I would like you to go over to iTunes or wherever you get this podcast and leave us a rating and review. It helps the show to grow up on the charts as well as continue to tell the SID story. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Infocast and sign up for our newsletter at sidcast.fireside.fm slash newsletter. Now, let's get into today's conversation. going on guys welcome back to another episode of SID cast uh, I'm gonna come right out kind of just what's been going on in my, in my personal life here lately um, I don't even want to say anything about this because nothing was ever written in stone which really sucks but um, due to reasons that start with a C and end in Ovid and then people deciding not to wear a mask um, my would-be position new position that I was gonna take has been a uh, held off, uh, meaning that I am still unemployed. Me and many, many other people out there in the sport industry that I am seeing are uh, now taking the effects of this, um, and it's hard to break back in. I mean, I was an intern in Indiana and then had to leave that, and then obviously that would be the, the first thing to go, and then trying to get back into it has been has proven to be a, a bit of a challenge. So, um just kind of working through the emotions right now, all things positive at the moment, uh, trying to decide what to do. I already have an apartment up in the, the state to where I was going to be living in. Um, we are trying to figure out what to do with that if we're, if me and Morgan are going to go physically up there still, or if we're going to, uh, stick with where we're at, um, a little bit longer than we had, uh, that we had hoped, um, we might do that. So we're just going to think about it. It's just, it's kind of a sucky situation for everybody, so and I uh, have firsthand experience of that now. But uh, on to today's episode, we do have a episode 160. It just felt like the other day we hit 150, 100. Well, we should be significantly past this point by now, but um, 160. Just yesterday we hit 100, and now we've got Ken Sweeten on from Southern Connecticut State. Uh, Ken reached out to me. He had been on a previous podcast, which we will talk about in the intro of this, but excuse me, um, he uh, wanted to come on the show, and I said that was fine, so we briefly went over, and it's slowly getting to be this way, we briefly went over kind of his his tenure and his path to where he's at at Southern Connecticut State, he was at Quinnipiac for a little while um, before getting over to New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, we tackle a lot of different issues in this episode, the first being uh, COVID planning and, and, and how it is affecting everybody in the fall. Um, this was also a episode and I plan to have more episodes like this where we talked about racial issues in society and in sport. So this is quite the, uh, from our perspective at least. Uh, so this is quite the, uh, pivotal, important episode. Um, as always, we will always stand behind our student athletes, no matter what is going on, uh, in our country. And, uh, that is all I will say. And I'll let you guys enjoy this conversation that we have. Uh, because I really did enjoy it, and I think that it moves the needle forward, at least for, for SIDs and, and maybe even for your, your personal thoughts as well. So we will start up as, off episode 160 of SID Cast with Ken Sweden of Southern Connecticut State and uh, what podcast he was on right before this, right here on SID Cast. That was uh, uh, Sporting Bliss with Rob and Chris. They're a, a, a guy and a girl out of uh, Florida. They usually do uh, major college football, and uh, I got peered up um, through a, a mutual colleague. Just uh, They suggested me to them, and uh, yeah, I jumped on board and talked college athletics for a while. What do they usually – I mean, they do major college football. I mean, like what was kind of the – because uh, that's got to be good. I mean – yeah. Oh, well, great. Uh, but it's got, it's gotta be good for like what I'm thinking, um, for the profession as well to hop on other different kinds of podcasts. Cause we've had different guests that have been kind of bouncing around to just explain to, to casual sports fans, I'll say what an exactly an SID is. So that's gotta be good. Yeah, there was, it was actually more of a, a athletic administration 
um, type of interview was really wasn't too much into sports information, but, you know, I kind of articulated what my role is in, in the athletic department. So that was, it was good to get that, that word out there. They have some pretty good, um, listenership too. Do they really? That's good. Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's bring it all the way back. Cause I mean, like you're a pretty big advocate for this profession. I mean, you've got different administrative roles that you, that you have told me about. Um, so where did you get started? I mean, how did you go about this? What was your sport background growing up? I mean, what was that like? Um, you know, I, I worked in uh, I worked in sports when I was in high school. I, I was a, a manager for for a couple teams in high school. Um, you know, I, I love sports from a from a young age. My grandfather was always involved in local sports and my father was as well. And, you know, I, I had the, the sports book like every other kid. You know, we were, we were out in the yard every single day. Uh, playing sports. Um, you know, the, the video games weren't as prevalent then. So, you know, from a young age, I was always into sports. I uh, wasn't the greatest athlete in the world. So uh, I stayed involved as a manager. A lot of my friends were playing. So I was hanging around with the team then uh, went to college for sport management at New Hampshire College, which is uh, Southern New Hampshire now. Hmm. And uh, worked with a few teams there. Uh, my goal is to work in Major League Baseball. Um, and I made a, a horrific mistake in, in uh mailing a letter to uh, a very prominent GM addressed to another prominent GM from another organization, uh, which is a good lesson to learn for, for people doing the resumes and sending that information out. Uh, make sure your, your cover letter is addressed to uh, the GM of the New York Yankees and not the GM of the Red Sox when the guy from the Red, from the Yankees opens that envelope. So I, I laugh about that now, but uh, you know, I, I worked in a, a local organization that did uh, amateur Olympics for the state of Connecticut. I uh, worked for there for about eight months. Their funding dropped out. And then I worked in a liquor store for about a year. <laughs> and it was through a, a friend of the family and uh, um, somebody who I connected with when uh, Southern New Hampshire played at Southern Connecticut, uh, Cosida Hall of Famer Rick Letty, um, who was at Southern Connecticut for 30 plus years, uh, hired me uh, as a university assistant. I think I was making about $120 a week. Uh, living at home, my mom was still doing my laundry and cooking cooking meals, uh, which was which was great as a young SID, not making any money. Um, you know, uh, it, it was interesting. I actually served uh, six months on the job. I was the only person in the office. Rick Rick had suffered an injury was was out of the office for a while um, uh, for surgery and rehab. So I was uh, 22 years old, six months on the job, and, and running a, a sports information office with 21 sports. Um, from there, that led to a job with uh, Pace University. They had they had, they saw the work that I was doing over at Southern Connecticut. Um, that was my first full time job. Was at Pace. I was there for three years, um, and then I was hired at uh, Quinnipiac in two thousand and seven by uh, Mike Kobolanski. Um, and I was at Quinnipiac until two thousand eighteen. I actually tried to get out of the business. I had some uh, leads on some some other fields. Um, I had a young daughter at home. We had just gotten married uh, a year or two, year or two before that, um, and uh, the hours were starting to get to me. Um, so I tried to get out of the business. Uh, ironic enough, Mike Kobolanski again left Southern Connecticut to take a job as the athletic director at, at UConn Avery Point, and I've been at uh, Southern for the last two years because of that. So talk about wanting to get out, and then all of a sudden finding yourself right back in um, because you kind of hide. I would imagine you kind of hype yourself up in your mind, like, okay, uh, I looking for other opportunities, maybe outside some sports stuff, but, uh, you just find yourself obviously right back in it. So what was that like? Just, uh, just from that perspective? Well, you, you know, Quinnipiac, Quinnipiac was, uh, was intense, you know, I, uh, because we were, we were, you know, thrust into the, the national media spotlight because of basketball and, and for a couple other sports and, and, uh, their title nine case and, you know, I learned a great deal at Quinnipiac, but when I finally met my wife um, and we were married and, and we had a kid, the the hours and the demands of the job, you know, were were taxing. And uh, I had a lead for a job outside of sports that, that would have meant better hours, similar PR work. And, um, you know, I, I pursued it and it ultimately fell through. Um, and that time off really uh, gave me some time to reflect gave me some time to connect with my wife and, and spend a lot of time with my daughter that, that I had lost. She was born, uh, 2015, uh, the year, the last time Southern Connecticut went, I'm sorry, Quinnipiac, uh, went to the national championship. So, um, you, you know, uh, uh, Rand Pecknell at Quinnipiac and, and the athletic director at the time was, 
were really good with allowing me some time off then. But once we got into the the postseason and everything with Quinnipiac's run to, to the top national championship, I was I was away from home quite a bit. Um, so I took that time to reconnect with my daughter and, and my wife and really get uh, put family first. And uh, when I saw this pop up with Southern Connecticut, um, I, you know, I, I was aware of, of the type of uh, university that Southern Connecticut was. I, I knew, still knew a lot of people that were there and I knew it was a great situation. Uh, it's a state school, state benefits. Um, and it was an opportunity that I really couldn't pass up. And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, I got back in the ring uh, because it, it's been uh, an absolutely incredible uh, couple of years um, in, in a real positive, positive experience, a lot more control of what I do and, um, really looked on as somebody with a lot of knowledge and expertise in this area by the coaches, by the student athletes. And, uh, I'm just having a blast, man. You know, it's, it's fun over there. Yeah. But how do you, uh, start that dialogue to where, uh, with your AD or any other sort of administrator that might have oversight of you that you're like, Hey, I need to spend time with my family because they can't say no, you know? But how do you start that dialogue and how do you maybe even find those opportunities to where you can still prioritize family and work in sport, do you think? Well, you know, that's a really good question. And and there was never any like um, nobody ever put any pressure on me that uh, nobody put more pressure on me than me, I'll say. Um, it, it was it was my drive to do the job the best that I could because I wanted to be the best at what I did. Uh, and it was hard transitioning from that as a single guy without a family to finally having a family and, you know, having to shut that off when you walk in the door to an 18, 18 month old baby, you know, and uh, maybe not taking that phone call from, from a reporter at, at six thirty seven o'clock at night. Cause you're playing with your daughter. Um, but in the back of your back of my mind, I was sitting, Oh my God, I'm blowing my job. I'm going to get nailed for this, you know? So it was tough to balance that. And uh, I, I had always gotten some support from, from administration, um, and uh, at Quinnipiac, where they were always great, and in Southern Connecticut, it's it's been awesome. Travel is, uh, you know, optional um, in season, and you know, encouraged at, at most for the postseason. But you know, I haven't missed a postseason game for for a team yet. Um, and uh, it's just you, you know, it's very much a very relaxing, laid back atmosphere, very family oriented. And I would say for for young people who are in that situation. Um, that I was in, I, you know, you, you run into, you, you get into this part of your life where you're, you hit your early thirties and, and you might still be single and, and you turn around and you see your friends and families and, and you want what they have. You want a family, you want, you want children, you know, make that a priority. And, and, you know, that, that's, that's more important than any press release you can put out at, at, uh, at eight o'clock at night, you know, spend some time with your family. You can get your bios done another time, <laughs> you know, take that time off, change gears and uh, family first. One reason why I, when I first started this, I knew I was kind of perfect for this is, is the drive by a lot of people. I saw how hard people were working. Um, I'm glad that you brought this point up because not just you, but me and, and a lot of other listeners are very hard on themselves when it comes to this job. Um, what I used to do, uh, if I was statting a game, I, I was like, my first ever primary sport contact was for lacrosse and I was 20 years old and it was this, it was a a little college, maybe 10 minutes away from here from my hometown here in Indiana. And, um, they were my, my family and some of my friends would ask, well, how was the game? And I would say, I didn't do well. And what I meant by that was like, I would miss ground balls. I would have not done good in stack crew, but like, can you imagine that just for half a second was that I was measuring my performance and wins and losses. And it was hard to like break away from that mentality. So, um, and even now, like, like, uh, I'm, I'm not doing a tennis release. If we lost like seven Oh at 10 o'clock at night, I'm waiting until the morning, like 11, 12, the next day. Like, sure. That's what I do. It's hard to let go. So how do you say, how was it for you? I know you said that it was tough to kind of break away, but when we were, what were some things that you did to kind of break away from that mentality a little bit? Uh, you, you gotta, you have to put the phone down at some point, man. You know, you, sometimes you just have to, you have to look at your stuff and, and, you know, when you sit down and whether you're in a big shop or a small shop, you, you prioritize your, your list, right? You, you mm -hmm. know, what's in front of you and you know, what needs to get done today and maybe what can sit for a day or two. And, and as long as you're diligent and keeping track of that stuff, you can manage your time. 
You know, I, I get it. You're, 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 you're in an office with a lot of people who maybe aren't as busy as you are. Don't have that list. You know, there, there are a lot of coaches floating around the office that like to like to come in and, and chat it up with you or whatever, because they have a half hour to kill before practice. Well, that half hour is the time when you were planning to do something else. Um, and now you're backed up a little bit, but I would just, you know, stay focused and work towards the end of the day. And, you know, for me, I didn't really have a choice. <laughs> I had, I had to pick my daughter up at four 30 every day. So I was out of the office by four o'clock. So I knew I had a time frame to work off of, uh, to get to the end of the day. Um, but I, I also think what plays a role in, in our job being so hard on us to what you were saying, I had a bad game cause I missed a couple ground balls and stuff like that, you know? This is a profession where a lot of SIDs get driven out of this business by a coach who rides them too hard, uh, a coach who who pushes them because they, they put this mentality in, if you don't do your job perfect, you're screwing over our team, for, for lack of a better term. you know. And because this is a position where so few SIDs get a pat on the back for a lot of the stuff that they're doing, they get frustrated with themselves. And they want to erase those mistakes. They don't want that coach popping into their office, you know, every morning following an afternoon game or, or after the game, they're coming in the office and saying, I think, I think my goalie had, had, uh, had eight saves. You only have him down for six. You, you know, you don't want to see that. So you put this pressure on you to be perfect. And, you know, I, I look at it like this and I, I tell SIDs that work for me, you, you get the stats wrong. You can always, you can always fix that at some point. You can always do that mm-hmm. at some point, just prioritize what's important in the moment. And now with social media, you know, make sure that stuff is right. Make sure you're, you're clipping highlights and getting them out there and stuff. And if the stats aren't exactly perfect, we can fix those, man. Like, you know, don't, don't sweat over that. Those are things that you can go back and fix afterwards. I'd like them to be as, as good as possible, but unless you do a million games, you're never going to be perfect, you know? And I think that's, that's something where when we have so many different things going on in a game, it's easy to miss this or it's easy to miss that. If you're in a small shot, you're looking over to see that the student that you have there tracking the libero at a volleyball game is checking that stuff off, right? While you're doing stats, you know, there, there's a million different things going on. And whether you're in a small shop or a big shop and you're managing a bunch of people, you want to make sure everybody's in the right place. So it's easy to look, lose track of the task that's right in front of you. I think a lot of it has to do with coming to those coaches and having healthy boundaries with them as well. Um, they, you don't have to be like a total a-hole to them. You don't have to be, and you also don't have to be like a big pushover. I mean, you just have like the, the, uh, I, I guess the ability to say yes or no. And if they, if they have an issue with the stats, what I like to do is I'd like to bring up the video and say like, okay, show me where. And a lot of people, a lot of coaches, not a lot, but some coaches that I found, excuse me i'm sorry. not really liked that at all as much um some people like to to have it their way or the highway and those are the coaches that like you were saying well absolutely it, for me if it was an opposing coach but if i had a coach my coach come up to me every single day after a baseball game and say that i am the worst statter possible then yeah that would drive me out too yeah but if you go in every day with kind of the the sit up straight you have the the, the bravado really just to um, establish those boundaries early on, especially when you get there and maybe when a new coach gets there, I think it might alleviate some of that pressure a little bit. Um, I, I don't know if you might find it the same way. Yeah. Well, it's all relationship building, you know, mm-hmm. um, have that conversation with your coach and sit down and, and say, Hey, I'm here only to support your program. You know, uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to work my butt off. I have a great story. This is how I had such a great relationship with Ram Pecknold at Quinnipiac. It started with the interview process. I was the assistant SID and I was trying to get the head job. And one of the one of the the, the uh, roles of the head SID at Quinnipiac was you had to cover men's ice hockey. They had the most exposure. They were the, the biggest program on campus at the time. So you interview with Rand. And I sat down across with him and he said, uh, tell me what you know about hockey. And I said, I'm the greatest NHL 94 player on, on the Sega Genesis of all time. And he laughed. He goes, are you talking about video games? And I said, listen, coach, I don't know a lot about hockey, um, but I, I know how to run a press box. I know how to do stats and I can write. And if you give me this job, you help me get this job, there isn't going to be a bigger fan of Quinnipiac hockey than me. And I'm going to work my butt off for you. And he, I remember he turned around, he looked, he looked at the AD, Jack McDonald, and he said, 
Yeah, that's good enough for me. I think he's got the job. <laughs> you know, Perfect. and uh, but yeah. but that goes to relationship. Be be personable. Be upfront with the coaches. Uh, I've walked out to a coach when I was in Southern Connecticut, and and she laughs about it today. She's still the field hockey coach there. And I said to her, now's probably a good time as any to tell you I've never statted women's lacrosse before, two minutes before the game started. Um, you, you know, and it was just it was just just have an open dialogue. And uh, you have to be able to give. And it, there's always a give and take with coaches. As long as you have a good relationship with coaches and you, you're building, constantly building on that relationship, and they understand that you're there to benefit their program, and they understand that you're doing the best that you can to do that, I think you're gonna you're gonna get a lot more support um, and a lot less blowback when when something goes wrong. You know, you have a good relationship. You may need something from that coach. You may need that help from that coach getting to your administration, um, or vice versa. And as long as you're building an ally, the less you know, the fewer problems you'll have. Um, there's there's a hard nosed coach at, at Southern Connecticut, and the guy walked in and he sat down and and you know he has a a very straightforward direct demeanor. And he just put the stats in front of me and he said, this isn't right. You didn't do them. Your, your part-time assistant did, but this isn't right. And this isn't right. You're going to have to fix it. And that was all he said. And it was fine. And we were laughing and joking like a half hour later. Now that guy could have came in and, and blew my hair back, screaming at me that, that I got stuff wrong, but he didn't. But because I had a relationship with him, he was a lot easier to get along with. And, and I think it was easier on him to come talk to me like that. And also easier for me to take that criticism. Criticism is not wrong. You can't get better unless unless you take in, uh, criticism constructively. Make mistakes. You can't you can't learn if you don't make mistakes. There's something I like to do. There's a book that I read, uh, and I and I tell people about this a lot called Extreme Ownership. And and what it does is it allows you to take ownership of the situation. Understand that you're 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 responsible for for your people. Obviously, yeah. you're responsible for communicating the message. You're responsible for for making sure that that message and that protocol is followed. Um, a lot of, a lot of people, and, and this goes back to my story earlier about taking a win or a loss with, with statting a game is that, uh, they take fault as opposed to taking ownership of something. Yeah. I mean, cause it, it's different to say like, um, okay, my constituent, my, my part-time assistant, yes, he, he, he started it a little bit wrong. We'll fix that. We'll make sure it's done the next time versus taking fault as saying like, actually, you know what? I'm just going to take the blame for this. Um, and there's a difference between taking ownership of everything because that can be tiresome. And exactly. where that comes from is uh, knowing your role. Was it really, was, and knowing the, the difference between was it really your ownership tree? Was it really your protocol, your decision, your you know, work people, or was it just kind of a fluke that happened, you know, and that's where a lot of the time sucking stuff comes. Yeah, I, I also yeah. find that coming a lot to coaches a lot with like, don't lie to them because people like to, people like to, uh, uh, kind of play off like why they didn't respond to your email or why they did a, a stat a certain way. Just, just be blunt with them and just be honest with them and say like, well, I thought the rule was this, or, uh, I got busy basically. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's just easy. And it's easy to kind of, and you got to do that with yourself as well, because me telling myself, I took a loss, this game was also lying to myself because that's what right. I was conditioned to think at the time. Right. Well, you talk about accountability and, and what comes with, with accountability is trust. You know, people, people believe in your word and that, that, that build, you need that trust with your coaches, with your athletic director, because when you don't have that trust, you become expendable. <laughs> they mm -hmm. start looking for somebody else. I don't want this guy around. I can't trust him around my program. So yeah, when, when, when that coach comes in and he says X, Y, and Z aren't correct, you, you have to look at it and say, you know what? It's not. Let's fix that. That's got to be fixed. And, and we got to make sure that's better next time. But at the same time, if that coach comes in and says, Hey, I think this kid should have had uh, should have had an assist on on this, or it should have been a hit, and in, in, in your guy scored an error. I, I think you also need to give it back to him a little bit and, and just say, no, I, I was at that game; it was definitely an error. So th there's a back and forth there, but but as far as like accountability, you have to be accountable in this job just to build that, just to help build and foster those relationships. Yeah, you know what, coach, we we got to be better than that. You're absolutely right because if we're not doing this, we're not doing this the right way. It's not benefiting your program. And I know we're better than that. You know, just own up to that. 
get it out there and, and you'll get on the same page and you, you'll that feeling of somebody looking over your shoulder and, and constantly looking through your stuff disappears. You know, accountability is a, is a big, big thing in, in life in general. Just admit it's wrong, understand it's wrong and, and get that chip off your shoulder. If it's not right. It's not right. And fix it. That's, that's kind of the way I go about my job. I've had yeah. those conversations all the time. I have them. I had them this morning, you know, Hey, this press release you put out last week. I don't think that was, I think you missed something here. You know what? I did. You're absolutely right. I, I should have added that. It's yeah. don't take it personal. <laughs> Some people put their stuff down on paper and publish it. And you know, that's the end of it. Nope. It's done. I'm sticking with it. Well, maybe you're wrong. <laughs> so yeah. so make, make sure it's right. At the end of the day, the, the information needs to be right. The stats need to be right. At the same time, with that, if a coach does come into your office and says, "Hey, the press release, I think you missed something here," you got to believe that you missed something too, because you can't be just kind of a yes man and saying, "Oh, like, oh yeah, yeah," because that's also an energy sucker too, and it kind of sucks away your confidence a little bit. Like, you got to have that self-reflective and maybe even reread it a little bit and say, "Like, you know what, I did," and and truly believe that, and then that's where you can come to the ownership thing. I think a lot of people might. Uh, get on one side or the other of that in an unhealthy way. So yeah, completely agree. Um, let's talk about trust a little bit. I mean, moving up in kind of the university department or just the university as a whole, especially with all this COVID stuff going on. Um, how do you build that trust to become a decision maker? I mean, does it work with time? Does it work with communication, as you said? I mean, or is it a, a combination of factors? Yeah, it's a combination of all those things. Um, you need to be visible. You need to be interactive. Um, I, I like to go in a meeting with something to say all the time. And I get, I get, you know, the cross, the cross look, the cross eyes, uh, uh, the sideways looks, excuse me, from, from some people in the room. If I bring something up and we're almost out of the meeting, I'm, I'm definitely that guy that'll throw something in at the last minute, but uh, uh, I try not to be, but it just happens that way. Be involved, put your two cents in, you know, somebody else in the room may be thinking the right, the same thing. I was in a meeting yesterday with the vice president of the university, the social media director. We're trying to figure some stuff out, a few other people on campus, and I couldn't get a word in. And I finally just said, you know what? I have something to say and just come out there and, and be truthful and honest. And, you know, all those all those things. Don't afraid to be bold, be truthful, engage with people and, and all those things. They, they look to you as, as a leader. Naturally, I'm big in the leadership, you know, and, and I think that as long as you're helping to prove uh, improve, excuse me, as long as you're trying to improve the organization or an event or, or help with a program somewhere, um, you know, there, people are going to put value in you. You're leading and, and that's, that's valuable. Um, and that's, that's where leadership comes from. It's making the entire group, um, you know, more cohesive and, and successful, really. It doesn't have to be somebody with a letter on their chest or the athletic director. If you walk in a room and you lead, people notice that. And I, I just think as, as long as you're, you're, you're moving the needle forward, you know, then, then you're an effective leader. And I, that's something I, I try to do all the time. Let's talk about leadership during this time that, cause it, it blows my mind. I was just thinking of this a couple, maybe a couple of months ago when we were all in quarantine, I was talking to people about the effect of real time sports canceling. Cause we've all got our stories of when we, when we heard that we're all done, basically go home, don't come out of home, basically. Um, so what about now, now that, uh, things were looking up, um, we were kind of giving ourselves time. We gave ourselves a plan and we gave ourselves hope is what we did. And now all of a sudden it's being stripped away from us yet again. So what's leadership like on your campus at the moment? And how are you taking basically ownership of this situation? So the planning, the planning for, for this has been pretty, um, pretty intensive over the last couple of months, um, specifically because we've been planning to get back on campus to get our kids back on campus and get them competing again. That's always been the goal. And the dates change when it's going to happen. No, we're coming back a week later. Now we can actually come back two weeks earlier. Uh, but if you're from this country or from this state, you have to wait two weeks. You know, there's a lot of variables that were coming into planning people coming back. And really with a lot of places starting to cancel fall sports, probably about a month ago, you know, that conversation wasn't the focus of it, but we're also kind of looking at, um, you know, let's plan ahead with getting kids back on campus. But then we also have to have plan B if that doesn't come in fruition, which is now a reality at a lot of places. There's a lot of conferences and schools now who are who are, you know, closing the door 
about a competition. Um, and I, I, I'm to be candid with you. I, I think it's, I think it's going to spread into the spring. Um, so, I mean, these are ongoing conversations and, and you just need to have uh, a plan going in to cover all the bases, be transparent with coaches, with student athletes, show them that you're working to get, you know, the common goal, work towards the common goal, which is get them back on campus and competing again. Um, I hate working from, I love spending time with my family. I hate working from home. I need to get back mm-hmm. out on the field. I'm going crazy here. You know what I mean? I can only yeah. come out to the basement and sit in front of my computer so many, so many days in a row. I need to get out there and, and watch a football game, watch a volleyball game and, and just, in, just get engaged with that stuff. So, you know, they have to know your coaches, your, your student athletes, your student workers, my, my graduate assistants, my university assistants, they all need to know that, that our goal is to get the kids back on the field and get back to whatever normal is. And, and that's, that's the vision that, that started from the top from day one, about a week after, you know, spring sports were done, we had a meeting with my athletic director and he said, let's start working on the fall right now for this reason. Cause we didn't, we didn't know where we were going to be. Um, never mind on, on August, on August 15th, if the students come back, but where we would be in July and where we'd be in June, you know? So mm-hmm. just, uh, you, you just, you have to be prepared to move forward. Uh, until you're not allowed to anymore. And that's that's something that, that we've been working very hard on. This is also a world where other issues have arisen and departments are departments, conferences are kind of forced to deal with them in, in a and rightfully so way. Um, so what has your role been kind of on campus with not just COVID, but now we've got to deal with all these other uh, kind of off campus activists type of things going on right now. So what, what is your role been? Racial issues, racial yeah. issues. Um, well, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm uh, one of the reasons why I, I alluded to earlier, you know, why, why I knew about Southern Connecticut um, and why I, I jumped at the opportunity to come back to Southern Connecticut was its diversity. And it, it was mm-hmm. so different from what Pace was, from what Quinnipiac was. And I had nothing but positive experiences at either of those places. Southern Connecticut mirrored um, my my uh, my grassroots, so to speak, where where I came up in in, in a diverse area, at a diverse high school, um, competing with different races, and, and um, mm-hmm. when I was growing up, and that was a very different look at Quinnipiac and at Pace. And so, Southern Connecticut is a social justice institution. They're they're committed to anti racism. Um, and, you know, I was involved from the beginning, actually my athletic director, and I, I don't, I don't know much of a secret. He kind of gave me a couple bullet points that he wanted to communicate. And I wrote his statement that was published out there. It was really, you know, some of his stuff, but a lot of what I was feeling personally, um, mm-hmm. to put out to the world on Southern Connecticut athletics stance against racism. And I, I was very happy to be involved in the planning of an anti-racism forum that we had last week on, uh, uh, July 9th. We had some black leaders uh, and some notable uh, alumni from athletics who uh, spoke to a, a good group, a large group of student athletes via Zoom uh, about racism, about the experiences that they had. And as a white person, it was very eye opening to me that, you know, we need to learn, continue to learn and grow and support our black brothers and sisters. We need to do that. Um and, and that's something I feel very strongly about. So I don't, I don't shy away from the racial, racial conversation. Uh, I had, I've had long conversations with uh, our, our volleyball assistant coach, who is a, a black woman from, uh, from Florida, who was spearheaded this conversation. And within an hour with her, I was ready to, to you know, run through a wall. I had a conversation <laughs> with, with, with Scott Burrell, you know, of the last dance, uh, notable, notably of the last dance, who is our, our head men's basketball coach. Uh, and it's from the same hometown that I am, you know, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty close with Scott through the last dance even more so, but I had a very frank conversation about race and um, I don't shy away from that stuff. And these are things moving forward. If we're, prov- we're trying to provide uh, an impactful um, experience for our student athletes, we need to support them first. And that's what we're trying to do here. That's what I'm trying to do here is support our black student athletes at a time when they need it. Support our white student athletes who want to support our black student athletes. 
and make sure that those groups are coming together to have this conversation. And I think a lot of positive, positive things are coming out because of that. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm proud, excited of the work that, that at Southern Connecticut, Southern Connecticut Athletics is doing and, and glad to be, you know, at the forefront, trying to, trying to move that conversation forward. And I think it's something that that's, it's been a long time coming. And I think a lot of people have stepped away from it because they're not comfortable with it. But as, as white people, we, we need to be uncomfortable and, and we need to embrace this movement in, in my opinion. I think I like how you said you had to put a student athletes first, especially during this time, because you got to make them feel comfortable. You got to make them feel like, yes, the university, the department, coaches, hell, even SIDs are, are behind us right now, because it seems like there are a lot of people that take to social media, especially Facebook, which I've just muted Facebook, um, that take their first and try to convince the public of, of the opinion first without ever reinforcing the, the student athlete. At least that's what it feels like. It might not be what's going on behind the scenes, but as we've figured out over the past couple of years, it's not about what you mean anymore. It's about what it looks like, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll tell the story of, of my hometown first. And, and it's easy for, for you and me and a lot of other SIDs to kind of be on one side of this that, that is absolutely behind the student athlete, the black student athlete, any sort of race on campus, it's easy for us to be behind it because those are our experiences, right? And those are the student athletes and coaches that come from all walks of life, uh, come from all places around the country, all mm -hmm. different neighborhoods and different schooling systems um, because we've been exposed to that. My hometown here, um, the KKK, up until this year, I doubt that they'll do it this year, uh, held a picnic downtown. Um. And whenever I go to the Dairy Queen across the river in Kentucky and I see different kinds of flags, diverse flags in the wrong way of yeah. different stances, it, it, it's going to take a lot of work. And that's what's unfortunate is that, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of people right now, especially privileged people, white privileged people that are like, oh, I don't see much racism. Well, that's because you're you and you're not from the hills of Kentucky or the hills of Indiana. And right. you don't see a lot of this stuff and also have this experience with different people. So understanding, I, I just love being able to, to come behind the student athlete here and just say, Hey, we're with you. Especially when you look around to different things. Like I didn't even notice this man. Like I've, I lived here, what, 18 years of my life. And now here past couple of months. And I never noticed it until, until now, just how, quote-unquote bad it, it well actually it is bad it really is here well what you're seeing now and and this this is important because i i spoke to scott about this i talked to a couple other black a lot of our panelists and i said how much should i be saying how much should how mm -hmm. sh how involved should i be I, I don't know where if there's a line or not and a big theme was no you can say whatever you feel because we need that voice to help us. You know, our voice may not be heard by some white people that, that will hear your voice. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yes. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that that's part of being the ally. It's not only standing next to them at a protest. It's not posting a black screen on, on your, your, your Instagram page. It's, it's having the conversation. Maybe it's a neighbor that you say something to. And to your point, there's a lot of people who kind of had their head in the sand and they're comfortable with this. Well, I'm not racist and that's good enough, but it really isn't, mm -hmm. in my opinion. You don't feel that you're racist, but you, you know, you're not doing anything to stop racism either. And that's that's a little bit sort of the problem as, as well. So I, yeah. I think it's important to, to your point that because you don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. We didn't mm -hmm. see dinosaurs. We know dinosaurs existed, right? True. Yeah, Absolutely. I like how you have to, because my next question was going to be how how are we best going to to move forward with this until I, I do plan on just a side note I do plan on having to have somebody on uh, about this sort of topic so this is this is coming at a later date maybe in August but um, or I might just bump that up now that this is happening but uh, asking just having an open dialogue and not shying away from it because I know that there are a lot of people, cause like you said, I, I think that that is absolutely what people are thinking right now. Well, I'm not racist, so I don't need to deal with it. Well, you might not know that you're not racist. Like yeah, you might do something, you might do subtle things. You might reinforce it in a subtle way. Um, you might, 
react to a different situation differently um, because you're not willing to have those conversations. And like I said, and like you said too, just because you don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I mean, there, there are people all around you who are actively trying to sway you one way or the other. So um, coming to the athletes and the coaches and saying, how can I best help is absolutely the, a a good way to start. I I would say. To your, you, like, to, that's a, it's a great point. Uh, and that's exactly what, what we need to do. And you, you allude to, you know, not knowing that you're, you're, you're committing these, these microaggressions. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you are, you are, whether you try to try to, or try not to, or, you know, you try your, your hardest to be respectful of people. You, you make, you, everybody has makes a, a slip every once in a while and, and you need to correct yourself. I, I'm not afraid of making a mistake. I'm not afraid of saying the wrong thing but I'm not going to say the wrong thing twice. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to make the same mistake twice. That That's something that people need to be aware of. And, you know, making mistakes is part of growing and getting stronger. And we need to learn and we need to grow. So we have to listen and, and we need to be involved in the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I've always said, you know, you, 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 you said student athletes first, you know, somebody told me early on in my career, before I got into sports information, if you have to make a decision, um, in, in a, in a pivotal moment and you're struggling to, to make that decision, it's either a or B. If your decision is in the best interest of the student athlete, you're never going to be wrong. You'll never be wrong. And I, that, that's something I carried, I've carried with me, you know, since I was in college to, to, you know, up to yesterday, I was, I was trying to determine what we should do about a situation. And, uh, you know, I just said, listen, it's in the best interest of the student athletes. So we're, we're going to, we're going to do it. We're going to do this. I think another great way, a great benefit of, of, of being able to, to think from the view of the student athlete, help them, especially through this is that it exposes to other people that might have an issue with, with looters and rioters and just taking that, like associating Black Lives Matter with rioting, which is absolutely incorrect, but that's what a lot of people are, are are doing at the moment. It feels like so. I think being able to tell the stories and being able to show people uh, from their favorite sports teams that hey, these guys they've struggled in the past and, and they need you right now. I think is going right. to be an absolutely a, a, a huge stepping stone moving forward. So we all we all have to. We just all have to do better. We all have to do better. Mm-hmm. Black, white, whatever race, we we all have to do better to get along better. Um, you know, I, I talk about my family all the time, but, you know, I'm doing this for my daughter. You know, I, mm-hmm. I may be comfortable where I am and, and I shouldn't be comfortable. And I, I, you know, I want, I want, I want this world to be a better place for my daughter, for, for the kids. And I, I you know, if I if you want to look at it professionally, I, I want it to be, I want it to be a place where, you know, college athletics is a place where you can just compete and there isn't racism. There's so many stories of, of blatant racism, whether intentional or not. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's just sick, uh, it's significant and it's sickening. Um, yeah, we just we just all have to do better. Yeah. Well, uh, I hate to turn the conversation away from this, but we're kind of bumping up against time here. And there's some fun questions I like to ask you. So uh, how does that sound, I guess? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. Uh, in your whole entire tenure, what's uh, what's been your favorite memory so far? It could be athletics related. It could be sports info related. What is it? Oh, man. Um, my favorite memory. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I uh, we Quinnipiac hockey was playing in, in the regional in 2013. Um. And uh, you win the regional, you go to the Frozen Four. And right. of course, you know, every we're Quinnipiac's the number one team in the country. Uh, we're on ESPN that night. You know, we we've got we've got Buchigras and Melrose in, in the booth, and you know, they're they're you know the, the spotlight's on us. And and uh, we beat Union. And I'm running down to the ice because I have a producer tapping me on the shoulder. We need to get Rand. We need to get this kid. Da da da. da. And I, I went out to the ice for the only purpose to grab Randon and the, the head coach of the, the Quinnipiac hockey team and put him in front of the camera. And he grabbed me and he had both hands on my shoulders. And he said, Kenny, we're going to the frozen four. And he just gave me this, this, this hug. And it was just, it was a really cool moment that this is the coach of the best team in the country. And, you know, we were right there and, and I, I really felt part of something there, you know, that that's, 
that's been one of my favorite moments. Uh, I, I, if I pause, because I, I can't nail one down, but that, that's probably the first one that, that pops into my head. Awesome. Um, I also had another about... one where I, uh, where I almost knocked Mariano Rivera over. I, I walked into him in a hallway. His son was playing on the Quinnipiac baseball team. Um, and I walked out of my office and he was standing right there and I was so starstruck. I, I, I just, I almost knocked him over when I walked out and didn't know how, didn't know to say, excuse me. Cause I was so blown out of my mind that, that, uh-huh. my favorite, that not only the greatest closer of all time, but probably my favorite Yankee of all time is standing, uh, three inches away from me. That was, that was a good yeah. one. Too. Awesome. We have many, we've had many of those stories of the starstruck stuff. So, um, Let's see. What if you have one? What about on the other side? What's uh, what's your biggest horror story? Man, um, I uh, probably this this last year um, we were we were dealing with uh, a, a death. The, the Southern Connecticut family was was hit with the death of a student athlete, um, hmm. and uh, it, it was. Yeah, I, I I knew her briefly. Um, where, where it touched me personally was my, uh, my daughter who was three years old at the time, went to a neighborhood gymnastics, uh, you know, Saturday morning, half hour babysit the kids while they run around and fall off the, uh, the balance beam type of right. thing. Uh, she was one of the instructors there. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, we had done an interview for, for a school newspaper with her the week before she passed away. So she was in the office and I was talking to her and she was asking about my daughter and we, I didn't know her that well, but it was touching that she remembered her. Um, so her, uh, her passing was, was very shocking to, uh, to everybody and uh, hit me a little bit. Um, well, good, great deal to, you know, because it's a, it was a student athlete and a person I knew personally and um, that everything that was involved in that were, was pretty, uh, pretty chaotic, but there was uh there was, there was one reporter from a, a tabloid, I won't name which publication it was, but a tabloid uh, news program who uh, ensured me it was in the best interest of the university that would allow her to come on campus and interview the the girls on the team. It was a great opportunity for publicity. Um, so I, I mean, some of the some of those stories around that were were pretty horrific. I, I would say that was that was probably the toughest part of my career. Yeah, and I'm sure it doesn't help that you have people trying to position themselves for their own gain. Mm-hmm. coming on campus so no never 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 an easy thing to deal with um i'm not sure that you maybe you're looking for something i something i screwed up maybe i, I, I could kind of yeah why didn't you have a stat computer fail or something <laughs> like that that's what everybody says that's easier um, uh, no that that stuff I, that never really you know th- those things like that happen what do you, you just roll with those <laughs> yeah right you just roll with the punches um what's one thing you're interested in to learn more about in this profession uh, I, I'm, I'm constantly trying to learn about, about everything, you, you know, in our profession, the, 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 the job, the, the job description changes. So, so often, uh, you wear a lot of different hats and, um, you know, you try to keep up with everybody else. You're, you're forced to learn a lot of things on the fly, whether it's video editing or, or social media or graphics or broadcasting, video streaming, you know, those things are just, I, I'm constantly looking for, for new ways, new things to do and, and how to, how to provide a positive experience for our student athletes and do my job the best I can. So that I guess there's, there's nothing I can't learn more, <laughs> more of uh, at any time. Like that answer. Um, when you're not in the office, what are you doing for fun? Uh, spending time with, with my daughter. Um, she's four years old. She'll be five in, in November. Um, so, you know, especially in quarantine has been interesting Been playing a lot of Barbies, a lot of, uh, my little uh-huh. pony, you know, that's, that's kind of been, uh, that's kind of been the, uh, the center of my focus, but, uh, you know, I, I'm just kind of laid back. I'm a, I'm a big movie guy. Um, try to read when, when I can. Uh, but you know, right now we're, we're at that pivotal age for my daughter. It just requires a lot of interaction and, uh, I'm having a blast. Quarantine has been a little, it's been a little testy. She's bored yeah. out of her mind and, uh, I'm trying to get work done and it's been very interesting, but, uh, it, it's, it's been fun too. At the same time, it's very cool. How do you describe what you do to your daughter? Uh, I, I don't really, I don't think she really grasps it, but, uh, one thing I like to do, uh, and this is, this is something that, that my grandfather always did. My grandfather always brought me to Yale football games or, uh, the Walter camp luncheon, um, where you meet these mega stars from college football. And he always introduced them to me as if he knew them. 
So I, I just I have this 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 faint memory in my mind going, Kenny, come here and say hi to, to Calvin Hill. You, you know, and I knew who Calvin was. I was nine years old at the time, but I knew who he was. And I just assumed the way he introduced me to him, that, like he, that he knew him personally and he never his best did. friend, yeah. I just thought it was a cool thing. I, I realized it years and years afterwards. So when I bring my daughter to the, to the, to the building or, or the facility or game or something, I always introduce, a, a say, say hi to daddy's friends. These are daddy's friends. So she's interacted with them and she's up to them because... She, you know, she trusts that I know them and, and that they're my friends. She, that's, she's under, that's what they understand, you know? Okay. So she doesn't that's completely smart. understand what I do for a living. Uh, but you know, I work in sports and she, she digs that. She just knows you have a lot of friends. Right. That's all she <laughs> Next time somebody's in the uh, New Haven, Connecticut area, what's your uh, restaurant bar recommendation? Well, we happen to have the, uh, the best pizza on the planet and that's, it's not up for discussion. So there's. Okay. That's bold. <laughs> we got yeah, a lot of, I've, lot I've of been, people. I've been to Rome. I've 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 been to to uh to the Amalfi Coast. I've had pizza. I can say I had pizza in New Haven in Italy, and I'm I'm picking New Haven. I'm going I'm going to go with New Haven. Uh, okay. You know, there's uh there's Pepe's, which is which is the world famous one. There's Sally's. Uh, there's Modern. Uh, those are the big three. And there's there's a lot of other good pizza places. Manja Beats in in North Haven. There's a lot of good pizza places in uh, in Connecticut. I, I suggest any of those places. Gotcha. Um, if anybody wanted to have any questions for you, want to follow up with you anyway, what would be the best way to do it? Uh, uh, email or, or direct message on Twitter. Uh, SCSUSID on Twitter. <laughs> it was previously QUSID, and then when I changed it, uh, SCSUSID. Uh, but now my... Uh, uh, I'm wide open to, to my messages. Feel free to give me a shout. Um, I'm happy to talk the, you know, college athletics. I'm, I'm happy to talk about the profession at all. Um, I've just uh, been added to the committee for the uh, mentorship program for COSIDA. Um, mm. Very, very excited to get involved in that and uh, and try to help some some younger kids. I, somebody gave me a shot, you know, when I started and uh, I walked in the door for an interview and they said, you can have the job. Um, give me a year at least. If you don't like it, you'll you'll know a month in. But give me a year, and if you walk away, you never want to be an SID again. Uh, no hard feelings. And he says, "But if you love it, I'll do whatever you whatever I can to get you a job." And he was true to his word. And I, I just I've been trying to pay it forward. And uh, I've had a lot of students that uh, that come into my office and grad assistants and undergraduates who uh, I've helped uh, get jobs in this industry, and I love to continue to do so. Awesome. Well, I'm signed up for the mentorship program. I think everybody listening here, whether you be a mentor or a mentee, I think you should absolutely signed up as well. So good stuff. Now, full disclosure, I was a mentor three years ago and I was uh, horrific. I was, I was a terrible mentor and Maggie Hyen from Delaware can verify that. I think we had two conversations all year. I was her uh -huh. mentor, even though we probably had the same amount of time in the business. Uh, and I was very, I came right through the door and I said, I am terrible at this. I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, and that's why I kind of wanted to get involved again, because mm -hmm. I realized some of the mistakes that I made and, and some of the things I didn't do. And I kind of want to write that ship and make sure that other people are more comfortable um, in being a mentor or being a mentee and get the most out of this program. Awesome. Well, everybody be sure to be involved in that. And uh, Ken, very, we all appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for having me. This is great. I've, I've been listening to the podcast for a while and uh, I'm happy to be featured. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Thank you very much for having me.